Take your Bibles. We're going to look at the book of Ruth today. Uh, the book of Ruth will be in chapter 2. Uh, we'll, I'll be reading a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 24, and then we'll look to Ruth 2.16. Uh, <clears throat> I heard about a survey they did in Washington, D.C. They surveyed all the drug addicts in Washington, D.C. And the person who I'm talking about is no longer addicted to drugs, I understand, so I'm not picking on a real addict, but... They did this survey, and 86% of the drug addicts said they would not do drugs with Hunter Biden. Again. <laughs> have to think about that. Again. All right. That wasn't good. You, you barely laughed, so we'll have to look at a, look at a new joke book. We're going to read verse 16, chapter 2. Stand with me. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 24, 19. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. And then chapter 2 and verse 16, this is where we left off last week, we're picking up in verse 16. Boaz says, and let fall some of the handfuls on purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world. Help us, Lord. We need so much for you to speak to hearts today. Your word never returns void, but Lord, we need to have ears to listen and to hear what you have to say, what the Holy Spirit says to us. Bless now, be with each and every one of us. And if there's someone here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, that today they'll trust him as Savior. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Normally, I do not have you read so quickly. I normally introduce the passage, uh, and we're going to repeat something. Every week, we'll repeat a couple of things. Ruth lived between 1,000 and 1,100 years before Christ. We know Samuel wrote this book. It's one of the five books that are read annually, and this book is read at the harvest time during Pentecost. The Jews would read this. We have several great types, Naomi, the mother-in-law, little Jewish lady who was living in Moab, a type of Israel, scattered in a strange place, losing her inheritance, who would, of course, get her inheritance back one day because it would be redeemed by her Redeemer. Israel one day will come back. They've already come back. They'll get their land again. And then we have Ruth, the little Moabitess. And what a blessing she is as she follows her mother. But she's a type of the bride of Christ. And we know that uh, she's going to be redeemed as well, a Gentile, and be part of the family of God. And uh, we, we know that's a great type. She's listed, of course, with another Gentile woman. Remember, Rahab the harlot, the Canaanite, is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And that's, of course, the rest of the story uh, we'll talk about later. And then Boaz, a type of the Lord. Uh, great books on typology. Walter Wilson's one of the great ones. A guy by the name of Keech is another one, and you can read pages about typology. And we never let typology change the context. The context is important. But we see clearly Boaz as a type of a redeemer. Uh, he redeems uh, 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 the uh, little Moabitess Ruth. And, of course, he was from Bethlehem, the ancestral home of David, and the place where Jesus was born. And so we look now in chapter 2, and we had looked last week at how she had found grace. It wasn't that awesome. Three times we find that Hebrew word translated grace twice and favor one time. And how she's now seated at the table of Boaz, and he's, 
intimately sharing his meal with her. That's so awesome. And, and, and of course, we'll one day feast and, and be with Jesus, and we'll be able to be with him and have that great time like he had with the disciples where they dipped a sop together in that great time of fellowship. And uh, she's sitting on the ground. That's how their tables were constructed. That's why when you study the dream of Peter, you know, with a sheet with all the uh, pork barbecue on it, and it had the, the shrimp and the, and the lobster on it, and God said, don't call it unclean anymore. You can eat that stuff. And it was a sheet, and people wonder why. Well, remember, they ate on a mat, sometimes just a piece of cloth on the ground. So they're sitting and eating. And she had found grace, and he had left her. Now she finds handfuls on purpose. A result of that grace is handfuls on purpose. And I love that God, God uh, has Boaz be a type there to, to leave the handfuls on purpose. You know, God blesses us when we leave handfuls on purpose. Moody once said, character is not what we do, is, excuse me, character is what we do in the dark when no one's looking. Jesus gives us a hyperbole. He said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand doeth when it comes to giving. And so he's going to leave handfuls on purpose. And, and, and I love that. You know, and I love the fact that we can be cheerful givers. That's the Greek word, hilarion. We can be hilarious givers. Don't give because you have to. Don't give what you have to. Give because you want to. God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want us to say, oh, man, I've got to give to the church. I've got to, I feel I should give an offering or a tithe. I, you know, that's not what God wants. He wants you to be excited about giving. And, and, and I love the type here. As, as he gives to Ruth to take care of her, I love that. And Boaz goes beyond the letter of the law. We read where you're supposed to, when you drop things accidentally, leave them there. But he tells his workers, leave some extra for her on purpose. I love that. What a type of our Lord. And, of course, I love Galatians 5.14, which says that, you know, we need to fulfill the law or to exceed the law is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? What kind of a neighbor are you? Who's my neighbor? Jesus answered that as well. Really, anyone you come in contact with. Not just the people who live next door, but the people in line at the grocery store, the gas station attendants. They don't fill your car anymore, but they take your money inside. And, and we have people all over we can minister to. And that's the test of who we really are. Do we love our neighbors as ourselves? And, and I just see, see the grace of God here and the giving of God. I love Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him was able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Do you know God can do more than you even imagine? God can do more than you imagine in your life, in your church, in your home. God is able. He's able. And, you know, sometimes when we're not aware of it, God is still working. And we think, why is God moving so slow? Because God's plan's better than ours. So here's this little Moabite. Here's Ruth, and she's in the field. And to gather, to glean, they would actually roll their hem of their garment and, and kind of make a container, and they would fill it full. And so she's filling her garment with, with uh, plenty of grain, and, and this is barley, of course. When the, the boy gave the two loaves and five fish to Jesus, they were little barley loaves, and the fish were little sardine-like fish. And so they used barley all the time, and she would gather a lot during the harvest, enough to last them all year. 
And so she's gathering this, and she gathers three-fourths of a bushel in the skirt of a robe. Plenty for her and her mother-in-law. And I like verse 19, because Naomi says, uh, where did you glean today? And basically, she says, how did you get all this? What happened? Where were you? What's going on? Why did you get so much? And she said, well, I was in the, the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And of course, you can imagine the lights going off on Naomi, because he's a relative. Oh, maybe he can redeem you. You know, and so uh, she she's shocked to hear it's Boaz. And then she says to her daughter-in-law, blessed be the Lord who hath not left off his kindness. Every time I come to this word, I have to say a, a word about the word. This is the word chesed. It's a fantastic word. You know that. We, we find this word so many places in the Bible. We find it with Hosea and Gomer. You know that story. She was trash selling herself. He bought her back. He had loving kindness. That's that great love that won't let go. We find it with God towards the Assyrian people, the Ninevites. We find it in the, in Asherus' love for Esther. It's a type of God's love for Israel. It, it, it's a type of Christ's love for the church we see fulfilled in the New Testament. And it ought to be how we love our wives. Love them. Love them for who they are unconditionally. And thank God for them. And, 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 but here we have this great love. She says, blessed be the Lord. That's Yahweh. When you see all capitals, that's Yahweh, the I am of the Old Testament. We know who that is as well. He's not left off his kindness. He's kind. He's a, he's his tender love, this kindness. And she says to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said in her, the man is near kin unto us and one of our next kinsmen. The word kinsman, remember, is the word goel. We remember it's the, it's the word that is translated also redeemer. Look in verse 4 of chapter 4. And I thought to advertise these saying, it goes on to say, middle of the verse, before the elders of my people, if thou wilt redeem it. That's the same word. You see, the close relatives was required to redeem. Judah's son disobeyed back in the Old Testament. He didn't redeem his brother's wife. This was a way God set up the law to keep people out of poverty. I like Matthew chapter 12, and of course, we have to explain that because people say, why would the Sadducees come to Jesus and question him about whose wife this is in the kingdom of heaven? Because the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection, sad, you see. And they come to Jesus questioning him about the resurrection. They say, all right, if a, a, a woman, you know, if, if her husband dies and she marries the brother and she marries the next brother because he dies and he has eventually seven of the same brothers and gets to heaven, you know, who's, who's her husband? And the Lord said, it's not that way in heaven. You see, we're the bride of Christ and we'll know each other and we'll love each other, but you don't have to worry about those kinds of things. God takes care of all that. But that's why that, that strange question, and some people don't understand that passage, when you study the culture, it makes it very clear. That's why these Pharisees, or Sadducees ask in Mark chapter 12. But look at verse 21 now. I love, I love, I love this. And Ruth the Moabite has said, He saith unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. Hang around. The workers, and you'll get plenty. And I like that. Um, you know, harvest would last anywhere from 7 to 12 weeks. And the amount of food they would gather, 
In this case, she would have enough food to last her and her mother-in-law till the next year's harvest. Because if you're bringing a three-quarters of a bushel home, you know, that's several weeks' supply right there. And they had these containers they'd keep in the house with all their grain. In fact, if you study siege warfare, they'd have these big containers with enough grain to feed the city for like 10 to 12 months in case there was a war. They'd pull those gates shut. Oftentimes, they built these cities over rivers, so they'd have river flowing through the city. They'd have all the water to drink and bathe in and so forth. They'd have all this grain, and the city could survive a siege. And so she'd have this barrel in her house, not for a siege, but just to provide for Naomi and, and herself. And so we see she gathers enough, and she's told to hang around, to hang around. That way she'll have enough. I like verse 22 as well. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter. That's a great word. It's translated in your Bible, beautiful and joyful. It's good, my daughter, that thou go out with the maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. Stay where you are. This is good. I like John 15, 7. Abide in me, and if my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it will be given unto you. You know what our problem is? We're not content in the field God's placed us. We want a different field. We want a different neighborhood, a different job. Contentment is great gain and godly, you know. And so we need to abide. And we need to stay right where we are and be content until God moves us. And so many times we don't want to abide. And here, Naomi's why. She says, stay right there. Stay there. Don't go to another field. And, and so she, she's, she's not too ashamed. I like, I like how they're not too ashamed to ask for help. You know, a lot of people are too ashamed to ask for help. A lot of people aren't concerned enough to offer help. But we all have to humble ourselves. And we've talked a lot about being respecter of persons and how we sometimes think, you know, we're better than that guy under the bridge. Oh, no, we're not. I am what I am by the grace of God, not by my accomplishments. I stand here today by God's grace, undeserving. And so uh, she dwells here with her mother-in-law. Verse 23 says she stayed with her mother-in-law. Ruth made a lot of good choices, didn't she? Number one, she chose to uh, uh, follow Naomi. Number two, she chose to have faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel. Third, she chose to farm in the field of Boaz. All wise choices. I like her. She's, she's wise. Helen Wheeler Wilcox said this, One ship sails east, one ship sails west. Regardless of how the wind blows, it's the set of the sail and not the gal that determines the way we go. You know, God's sovereign, but he still allows us choices, doesn't he? And we need to be careful how we decide to guide our ship. And we need to go along with God's way and not our way. Our selfishness usually trips us up and hurts us. And it's important for us to make the right decisions. And we find this little Moabite lady making one good decision after another. We move into chapter 3 for a few moments this morning. Now, several months have gone by. The harvest has gone by and nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And, and they're, they're gathering and they're gleaning. But God's always at work and God's working on the heart of Boaz. Naomi's going to start to scheme a little bit. And, and let me just say this. We see a lot of scheming in the Bible. You know, 
God is sovereign and he's going to have his way even if we scheme. And sometimes he allows our scheming to fall right into his plan because he's God. You know, you remember the story of Laban? He schemes. He has to find a way to marry Leah because she's ugly. That doesn't say the word ugly, but we know that's what the text teaches. She's just not very attractive. And Rachel, her sister, is beautiful. But Leah's older. So he schemes and schemes and plans and all this stuff he does. You know what? God can work it out without our scheming. But it's interesting how he still reigns. Because Leah, remember, is the line of Christ, not Rachel. Whose whose mother is Judah? Leah. So Leah was God's plan, with or without scheming. Here Naomi's starting to say, we got to do something here. And I'm not saying Naomi was wrong. She may have been absolutely perfectly in God's plan in giving this advice, but she's thinking. I like it when good people think. I don't like it when bad people think. (laughs) And she's thinking what she can do. She really wanted a permanent home before she died for Ruth. She says in verse 3, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? You know, she wanted to take care of her. That's the motherly instinct. She didn't have a a daughter. She had a daughter-in-law. And she was obviously a godly person. And we know that the Redeemer had to be someone who was wealthy, could afford to redeem, and willing, and related. And, of course, Boaz fit it perfectly. He wasn't the closest relative. But he fit the bill. And we know that Naomi realizes that, and she knows all about the law. And I doubt that Ruth knew very much about the law. In fact, when they were returning from Moab, remember, Naomi said, you don't need to follow me. I I can't bring any more sons into the world to provide for you. So you just need to go back. Of course, Orpha looked back, but Ruth said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And those great words. And so in verse 2, uh, here's this mighty man, Boaz, a wealthy man, and he's working. And he's, he's separating the barley from the stalk, and he's, he's working. I like that. I, I like a man, a leader who works. And uh, Naomi advised Ruth to offer herself at night to be redeemed. She found out where he slept, and, and she's going to come, and she's going to lay down at his feet. We know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, but we like to still study it and read it. He says, wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee. Put on thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. Wait till he's relaxed. He, he's done with his evening meal. He's, he's getting ready to go to bed. And, and, and just be careful. Don't present yourself too early. I, I like this. You see the word feeding here several times. Great study in the Bible. All the barefoot people of the Bible is a good study. But think of all the times where feet are, are part of the story. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. We, we moved the sofa into the fellowship hall below the picture of Jesus and his disciples. And said, now someone can lay down at his feet. And, uh, but, but we see the word feet. And I love where Jesus in John 13 takes off his outer, outer garment. You know? And he, he washes the disciples' feet. I love that. There's so many great stories about take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And here, of course, she's going to lay at his feet. What's this a sign of? 
submission, obedience, to, to reverence somebody and lay it at their feet. And so she's going to do that. And, and I, it's interesting to me because here's a servant demanding, almost demanding that her boss marry her. Here's a Moabite demanding an Israelite, demanding of an Israelite. Here's a woman making a demand of a man. A poor person making a demand of a rich person. Nothing seems like it will work. Is she a naive foreigner or is she just submissive to Naomi? Why would she do that? It just doesn't make sense. What would the Jews think of Boaz marrying a Moabite? Forbidden from the temple. Now, of course, when she became part of his family... She'd be allowed. But, but think of all the different things here. And is this just a naive daughter-in-law or a devoted daughter-in-law? What is this? No, it's the hand of God. Recognize that. It's the hand of God. God is sovereign. God is in control. Daniel says that in 2.21. Did you know God places kings in palaces? God puts leaders in positions. We don't have to fear who's leading our country. We vote. We pray for our leaders. And we should pray for them more than we criticize them. But we have to pray for them, right? That's what the Bible tells us to do. Pray for all those in authority and submit to them. And, and so, unless they ask us to sin, I understand the teaching there in Acts 5. But, but we have to recognize that God has placed leaders in those positions. And believe it or not, they're servants of the Almighty, and they're actually puppets of God. They're puppets of God. God can turn their heart any way he wants to. And as I see things happening in our world, I'm a little concerned. I thought, well, 20 years ago, Kuwait was invaded, and we went in there and defeated Iraq. And, and I believe NATO and America together would easily take Russia. That's my personal feelings, uh, but I'm not a military general. So I sometimes think, why don't we just go in there? I don't know why, but I trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into thine own understanding. We don't understand, but we trust him. And let me say to you, in your personal walk, in your personal life, when you don't understand, trust him. When things at work don't go quite the way they're supposed to go and you don't think it's fair and right, trust him. Trust him. Trust him. You say, but I have a child and I, I can't handle this. My son has a rambunctious little guy. He's six and he's, he's got what they call ADD and he's spanked the daylights out of him, but it's not working. And he was sharing with us at the table and my son began to cry as we we're sitting around the table last week. You know, I had Jeremy and his son here for a conference and then Zach came from St. Louis and they were here a week for spring break and we've just had a house full of people. And uh, Zach was just pouring his heart out. And my sweet new daughter-in-law, Daniel, who's going to preach for us one of these days, she was a missionary in Jordan all these years. She's from Michael Youssef's church. And she just said, and I should have thought first. She said, let's pray right now. I love that. Let's pray right now. Trust God. We don't understand what's going on in the world. I know people that don't understand what's going on with a child. Why do these things happen? 
Why do you have a health situation that you can't really control? And, and you're thinking, what is going on in my life? Trust the Lord. I don't know. We have answers in the Word of God, but sometimes God doesn't let us see. We always say Abraham looked for a city but didn't find it in his lifetime. You will know one day why. In the meantime, trust. Trust. And so here's this little lady, and from a natural perspective, this seems like a hopeless gamble. And from a human perspective, Ruth was absolutely worthless. From a human perspective, she's a Moabite, a descendant of Lot and his immoral conduct when his daughters got him drunk and brought about the Moabites. And she's considered unclean and unfit, not allowed in the temple. From a human perspective, she's worthless, forbidden, outcast. And you know, each and every one of us are just as, just the same. Did you know that? You were aliens from God before you were a Christian. You're an outcast. But the grace of God, just like we see the grace of God here, because to God, this little Moabite lady was worth it all. Did you know that? She's special to God. And I'm special to God. Because God loved me enough to save me. I think of all the great people in the Bible that we, we read about that, you know, we, we think, well, they are so deserving of heaven. We think of the great Abraham and King David. But think about all the rotten people we see saved in the Bible. Think about all the down and out, the outcasts. Think about Lazarus. Who was he in this world? How was he looked upon? He's a beggar. Dogs are licking his sores. He's just hoping for a few crumbs. But his name's in the word of God because he was special to God. And this little time of life down here is meaningless when it comes to eternity. I think of the thief on the cross. The last minute where he trusts the Lord as his Messiah. And the Lord says, you'll be with me in paradise. He's an evil man. An evil man. He'd committed crimes and done all kinds of things, yet he's worth it to God. So we don't need to look upon people as respect or persons and say, well, I don't know about that person. Not many, not, not, not many times do we invite homeless people to church. You know, we want church, we want them to all come just the way we want them, you know, to dress the way we want them, to look the way we want them, and act the way we want them. And that's all hypocrisy. We, we put on our best for Sunday and we're all kind of hypocritical because this isn't, this isn't real. This is a cover up, you know. I'm not saying not to dress nice. I'm glad some of you dress nice. I keep dressing nice. My point is this. God knows the heart and that person's as important to God as you are, as I am. And we need to look upon that and compel sinners to come to the house of God. It's okay if a drug addict attends our service. We want him here. You say, I don't know if I want to invite that person. Invite that person. What God can do in the life of a person is amazing. It's amazing grace. Years ago, I remember at a church I was attending, we had a guy named Brother Biddle. He's an old guy. And he'd get up and he'd sing this song. 
about how God reached way down for me. And then he would dramatize it. He'd kind of bend over and reach way down, and everybody would start to praise the Lord. And, you know, I was a young guy. I was in my 20s when I first started going to that church. And I still remember him to this day. be up there singing, he reached way down for me. But it eventually dawned on me. I was the one he was reaching way down for. Where would we be without God's grace? I love all the grace of God in, in providing for Ruth. All the things we'll see in the next few weeks, or not the next few weeks, but eventually, how God provides his grace for her. But I have to apply it to my life and remember how much God's been gracious with me. All the dumb things I've done in my life. A few weeks ago, I was working out in the yard and I hurt my hand. I was mad at God. And God has to think, what an idiot. But, you know, God loves me. I'm glad. I'm mad at God. Have you ever blamed God? God, why, God, why are you doing this to me? I blame everything on God when I'm in the flesh. When I'm in the spirit, I realize it's all my fault. When I walk through the kitchen and you hear little Debbie say, Hey, big boy. I got some sweet buns here. You'll like them. And I have this little affair with little Debbie and Aunt Jemima. I can't blame God. Have to blame old Dan. This is the problem right here. And the problems you bring into your own life, sometimes we bring problems into our life because of our stupidity. Sometimes storms come and we're not expecting them. We didn't cause them, but they're there. And we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. Say, God, I don't understand it, but I accept that you're in control. And I thank you, God. And I like this here because there's two things I notice here in chapter 2. We find here Naomi saying two things. She said in verse 20, or verse 19 and verse 20, she says, Blessed be he that took knowledge of thee. Bless. I pray God's blessing on Boaz. But then she says in verse 20, Blessed be the Lord. Remember her attitude just previously, a few months ago when she came home? Don't call me pleasant, Naomi. Call me Mara. God's been unfair with me. Sounds like a lot of Christians. God's been unfair with me. Bitterness is always a choice you make. Sometimes it's deep-rooted, and you better get rid of it because blaming God is, is, is sinful. And not forgiving others is sinful, and those are the causes of bitterness. And, and so we see a big change here. Now she's praising the Lord. She's blessing the Lord, realizing how good God is. And when you get to that place in your life, you'll praise the Lord more. You'll sing louder. Get more excited about him because he's God. He's in control. He makes no mistakes. He knew you'd be here today. If you're not a believer today, just come forward and be saved. Our altars are always open for anything, but we always appeal to those that don't know the Lord. This could be the day of salvation. He, 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 the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the lesson from your word. And I know the Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us differently. You know, all I can do is just to be obedient to you and trust you, God, that you're speaking to hearts. I know you are. And I pray today that if anybody needs to come for any reason, that they come. 
And Lord, not just that they make a spontaneous decision today, but throughout the week we think about the grace of God, the favor of God, and all the goodness you've bestowed upon us. Bless now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.